this morning, I want to share with you a message. I told you I was going to talk about it last week. Uh, it's called The Fine Line Between Faith and Stupid. So here we go. Now, the first thing you have to be aware of, that from a natural viewpoint, from a worldly, earthly viewpoint, all faith is stupid. Uh, you know, some things you can't see, they, they, they don't understand that. In fact, God has always known this and even intentionally chose the preaching of the gospel as a way to bring salvation to men because he knew that arrogant people would think it was stupid. We read about it in 1 Corinthians as Paul writes to the church there. He says, you know, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And make no mistake, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are perishing. You may not feel like you're perishing, but you are perishing and headed for a very, very uh, sad end. Anyway, to people who are perishing, this idea of preaching about Jesus on the cross, and it just seems so stupid, it seems so foolish. There's a, a definite disconnect there. <clears throat> God has known that and chose this intentionally, as we will read here. He says, but to us who are being saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, God says, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Then he talks about two different groups of people. We have these same groups of people today back in his day they were pretty much referred to as the Jewish people and the Greeks these were the two major groups uh, in Paul's life at this time Uh, we're much more diversified today but make no mistake the same two groups are at work there are those who demand a miraculous sign overwhelmingly the Jews of his day these are the people when you preach well show me something approve it to me do something fancy walk on water you know do some kind of a miracle if they can't see it here, they can't believe it in here. And then the other group is those who are looking for wisdom. In his day, it was the Greeks. And when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking godly wisdom. We're talking the world's wisdom. You know, those who were philosophers, those who have philosophy. We all run into these people. As you try and share your faith, they're very quick to want to get into some argument about philosophy. Well, let me tell you what I think about that. Well, I read in a book, blah, 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 blah. He says, but we, we people of faith, preach Christ crucified. The message of salvation is about Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, to the ones who want some fancy miracle. And it seems foolish to those who are into philosophy. Because philosophy is about how man gets a hold of God. But in truth, in Christianity, it's God getting a hold of man. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's greatest strength. So while from a worldly viewpoint, all faith is stupid, we who believe, we who have experienced God's grace, and the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. Those of us who experience answers to prayers and seen miracles in our lives. 
we know that faith is in fact very, very real. But still, even from the standpoint of those who understand faith being real, there is a difference between real faith and foolish assumption. And a lot of people of faith, born again Christians, get caught up in making the wrong step, making the wrong decision, going the wrong way. And much of what they're doing is really based on foolish assumption, though they claim it's faith. It's what I refer to as the fine line between faith and stupid. Now, while there is a fine line between faith and stupid, there are many examples where the line between faith and stupid is not fine at all, but rather a huge 12-lane freeway. and should be obvious, but amazingly, so many people today still don't seem to quite get it. There's all kinds of examples of it. I have a few this morning. There are those who, for example, refuse to go to doctors because they think that's faith. Well, that's not faith. That's stupid. It's like falling off a boat in the middle of the deepest part of the bay out here and instead of trying to stay above the water until you get help, it's like folding your arms and saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have faith and trust God. Well, you're just going to sink to the bottom and you're going to drown. Even though that you're paddling to keep your head above water, you're still needing help. You're still needing intervention. You're still need when you go to a doctor, all that is is just paddling to stay your head above water until you can trust God to intervene. And by the way, most of medicine, and there's phenomenal things they can do, at some point it always boils down to God has to intervene on your behalf. That's why you hear doctors often say, We've done all we can. Now we have to wait. That would be the God factor. Okay, they can put you together. They can do it. But if God doesn't work on your behalf, I tell you, if you've ever had cancer, some serious disease, they don't really cure these things. They can attack them. They can do what they can. But if God doesn't have mercy on you, it isn't going to pull you out. Don't think that going to a doctor is a lack of faith. Going to doctors merely paddling until God can reach down and save you, pull you out, deliver you. Don't be foolish in thinking that somehow refusing to do the obvious smart thing is somehow contrary to faith. It is not. Then you've got people who uh, believe God will move on their behalf despite their obvious lack of action. It's like people who say, you know, I, I want to I catch a fish. I'm trusting God for a fish. But they refuse to go fishing. Well, that's not faith. That's stupid. There's people who pray for God to give me a job. Pastor, I'm praying and trusting God's going to give me a new job. A job. It's going to be a wonderful job. It's going to be a fabulous job. Well, that's great. I'll pray with you. It's great. Have, have you been looking for a job? Well, no. No, I haven't done that. <laughs> well, that is stupid. Just sitting around praying that God is miraculously going to send some CEO to your house and say, I don't know why I'm here, but I need to hire you. (laughs) Probably not going to happen for you. Does that mean you can't have faith? Of course you can have faith. But you need to be smart. Get out there and do what you can, but trust God. Don't trust in your own strength. Just because you're doing the smart thing isn't a matter of trusting in your own strength. It's just a matter of not being foolish. Here's a big one I hear all over the country as I travel speaking about relationships and stuff and You know, if this hits you, don't yell ouch, but 
those who I'm praying that God will bring me a husband I'm praying that God will bring me a wife really well have you gone out there to meet anybody well no no I'm praying God what do you think is going to happen what are you Moses for crying out loud I don't meet anybody. I'm talking. I met some lady, definitely met a lady down in Houston, Christian lady, 38 years old, drop dead gorgeous, never been married. I said, well, what's your problem? I mean, either you're doing something wrong or Houston has the dumbest men on earth. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, this lady sucked the air out of the room. It's like, wow. She said, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just praying. Trusting God will bring me a husband. I said, well, obviously that isn't working for you. I want to actually go meet some people. Again, to me, that's not a fine line between faith and stupid. That's just obvious, stupid, for crying out loud. But then there is that fine line where you could step out on faith. Should I step out on faith? And this affects people at various levels, you know, in, in your own personal lives, things you're dealing with, huge decisions that you need to make, uh, job changes maybe starting businesses and certainly the church deals with this all the time as an organization what should we do when should we step out how do you define that line between faith and stupid I mean it's, sometimes it gets very very little well let's talk about faith for a minute you have to understand that at some level all of faith is stepping into the I'm not 100% clear on everything the truth is, if you were 100% clear, there would be no faith. Where's the faith in that? That's, that's easy. Quite frankly, there are millions of Christians in America who never step out in faith, never do anything, because they're just waiting for God to tell them what to do. We've all met these people again. To me, it's an obvious line of stupid. But, to, you know, they don't do anything. They never experience. They never get involved. They never get involved in the church. Why not? Why not wait for God to tell me what to do? And you better get your butt moving here because God's going to kick you if you don't stop it. Sit around waiting for God to tell you what to do. You, you know, if God tells you, then do it. But you just don't sit around waiting for God. But see, that's where people are. They don't really want faith. They're uncomfortable with faith. They want some divine revelation. Absolutely. Tell me what to do. How do I know? How do I know? Well, sometimes you don't know. It's called faith. It's called stepping out and trusting God and letting Him guide and direct you and trusting Him enough that if you start heading in the wrong direction, He will start bringing you around to go in to the right direction but there's always that I'm not quite sure mode is not always 100% clear Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians again he's writing in chapter 13 that's the love chapter you know love is this and love that everybody reads these at their weddings and stuff but at the end of the chapter he uh, starts describing the difference between what it's like for us living now and what it's going to be like when we're in heaven now it's things aren't quite so clear but in heaven they'll be obviously much more clearer he uses this analogy. He says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Things will be clear. He uses the analogy the translators here use of a reflection in a mirror. King James Version says it's like we're looking through a glass darkly. You have to understand 2,000 years ago they didn't have the kind of mirrors we have today. They were, you know, at best they weren't completely clear. He says that's what, that's what it's like. It's like kind of, is that quite the way things are. That is the challenge of faith. So, if we don't always see with 100% clarity, how can we know whether or not we are to proceed in faith? 
Because the truth is, Christians frequently step out in what they call faith only to be discouraged when things don't turn out the way they plan. There's almost an arrogance sometimes of people of faith who just say, well, we just trust God. We're just going to trust God and just run out and just do stuff without thinking, without looking to see if God is really confirming this in their lives. This happens a lot in churches with building plans, building big buildings and all this kind of stuff. There's churches all over America today up to their eyeballs in grief because they just went out and built and everybody said, yeah, we'll just have faith, we'll just trust God, we'll just trust God. And they weren't thinking and did stupid things, got themselves in trouble. All kinds of ministries have been turned upside down and changes because of bad thinking in those lines. And, uh, and, and they get themselves in trouble. I know when we were in Stevens Point, you know, you guys over there, when we first started to grow in Point, and it was pretty dramatic, certainly for that area. I mean, we'd only been going for about a year, and we were, what, 200, 300 people. It was, it was growing very, very fast. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, let's just, let's just go build a new church. Let's just go build a church. You know, we, it only costs us three, four million, maybe five million dollars, and uh, it, it'll be fine, and we'll just trust God. We'll just trust God. And I always went, but when I'm glad we didn't run off with that. A lot of pastors get caught up on this talk of, well, just trust God, and they feel bad if they don't do something stupid. You know, just running off and saying, trust God, isn't being smart all the time. And uh, interestingly enough, virtually all the people who are saying that don't even go to church there anymore. I'd be looking at a $5 million bill, and they're gone, praising Jesus somewhere else, you know. Yikes! You know, better to do it smart. It's not all about... And and by the way, you know... um, you know, this particular facility that we have, you know, it's this gorgeous, fabulous facility and stuff. But you have to understand, I, I, I don't think in these kinds of terms. Uh, you know, uh, this was before Markey. You know, you, know, you know how they say before Christ is B.C.? This is B.M. But, uh, but, but not in a bowel movement way. I'm talking about B.M. before Markey, you know. And, and, and it's great, it's fabulous, it's wonderful and stuff, you know, but you need to know something. I think totally differently than this. I try to be very prudent and as disciplined as I possibly can in making the decisions that we make. I would much rather put money into people than into fancy, fancy buildings. Okay, that's just the way that I think. And if you want to know how I think, look at Stevens Point, what we did there. We took an old industrial building that looked awful. And have transformed it. If you ever get a chance, go over there. It's been an amazing... Do we have before and after pictures of all that stuff? I don't know if anybody thought about stuff like that. But man, you guys over there, look around and see if we got any stuff so we can show that sometime. It's dramatic what's over there. It's this beautiful little place. But it's done for a fraction of the cost of building some big building. In the west side, we didn't just run out and borrow a bunch of money and three, four, five million dollars and get some building over there. We're just renting in some school for right now. Why? We're trying to be as prudent as we possibly can. And again, what we have here is great, it's blessings, and we enjoy it, and, uh, and, and uh, it is what it is. I think sometimes, at some level, this facility can both hurt us and help us at the same time. I mean, I, it's, it's wonderful to have. I think some people, they come into this place, and they look here, and they think, gee, they don't need my money. Well, wrong. <laughs> we need your money, you know. But you know what I'm talking about? Or sometimes it's people with significant wealth. I mean, God has always blessed people with significant wealth who have made big contributions to help advance the kingdom of God. It's always been that way. 
basic tithes and offerings that we take on Sunday is pretty much just for the operating cost. What helps churches to move forward is when someone who's been blessed by God says, you know, I'm going to give. And they write a big check, 100 grand, 500 grand. I mean, sometimes a million dollars. You know, the people will give to advance the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes people come in here and they think, well, they don't need that here. Wrong. And secondly, they think, well, gee, if I do, they're just going to put it in big fancy buildings. Wrong again. That's not the way we think. Uh, we are trying to be as prudent and as practical as we can to advance the kingdom of God. Again, I would rather put it into people than into brick and mortar. Well, it comes down to now, so how do you know? How do you know, pastor, if it's time to really step out in faith? How do you make that delineation? And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Very, very simple message, but it's a big truth. And it's very simply this. Look for confirmations and signs and evidence that God is with you in the direction you think maybe you should be going. Now that sounds very simplistic, but it's amazing how many people don't do that. They just think, well, I think God, it's on my heart. I just, I, you know, I had a dream last night. You know, it could have been pizza for all we know, but they had a dream. You know, I'm supposed to go do this and they go run off. There's no evidence anywhere supporting that move. That's stupid. You've got to look for evidence. Is God with you as you're stepping forward? Uh, we see this throughout the Bible. Moses, God speaks to Moses. He's walking along and all of a sudden he sees this bush talking to him, which would freak me out. I'd, ah, and run, you know, but the bush, he's talking to the bush. And, and it's on fire, but it's not burning. And, and uh, God tells him to go speak to Pharaoh. And what's amazing is even though these guys would have like a dramatic initial direction from God, even then God would give them supporting evidence that he was with them. It's amazing how many people just off of a feeling just run off and do stuff as Christians with no evidence. That's where the line of stupid steps into. No evidence at all. They just run off because they have a feeling. These guys had way more than feelings. God would show up and go, yo, hey! And even then, God would give them evidence. We see this in Moses. He was nervous. Didn't know what to do. How do I know you're going to really be with me? Well, you think, hey, I'm talking to a bush. There's a sign there. But he needed more than that. God says, take that big staff of yours. Throw it down. Turns into a snake. Whoa. Reaches it, picks it back up, turns back into a stick. That's pretty cool. Okay? And as we see, all kinds of little miracles. You can read the little miracles that God did until they went out and started saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And all, you know, heaven comes down and just starts butt kicking and all these plagues and stuff like that until they finally get them out of there. All kinds of evidence God was with them. We saw that last week when we were reading about the children of Israel about to go into the promised land. Everybody's going, no, we can't do it, no, we can't do it. But Caleb and Joshua, they said, come on, we can do it, we can make it happen. How do we know they weren't being stupid? Because there was all kinds of evidence that God was with them. I mean, there was dramatic evidence all around them. God was pointing at them and leading them and directing them, doing miracles for them everywhere. The ones who didn't go, that was stupid. Because the evidence was so strong. But that's how these guys knew they could go in. And they eventually do take them in, by the way. We have to wait for all these guys to die off because they're, they were so stubborn. Uh, the story of Gideon in the Bible. I love the story of Gideon. You know, he's the girly man of the Bible in the beginning. He's a, <clears throat> the Midianites are in town and they're kicking butt and taking names and he's freaking out. He's hiding in the basement. And God appears to him and says, You are a mighty man of valor! And he goes, who are you talking to, man? I am the girly man. I'm afraid. I'm hiding. And God says, no, the angel appears. The angel appears to you. think that alone would be all you need. But even then, there was evidence. Gideon was still nervous. How do I know? 
He, said, he, he, he sets out a sign to God. He lays out a fleece on the ground. He says, well, if you're really with me next morning, tomorrow morning, the ground will be all wet. Let the ground all be wet with the dew, but let that be dry. And sure enough, it was dry. And then he goes, give me one more try. This time switch around. Everything else be dry, but that be wet. And, and it was. I mean, but these little tiny things, evidence that God was with them. David, I love the story of David, David and Goliath. What made this young man, who was, you know, in terms of fighting strength, was still considered a boy. I mean, he's, we don't know how old he was. He might have been 15, 16. I don't know. Who knows? What gave this guy the courage to go and take on Goliath? Now, you have to take a look at the scenario. Here is the army of Israel. The strongest, most disciplined fighters of his nation are standing there frozen in fear because of the size of this gargantuan man. And they won't move. No one will take him on. And they are paralyzed. And this young guy comes along and says, I can take him. Now that sounds stupid. And indeed, it would have been stupid had there been no evidence of God being with him in a supernatural way. See, that's how you clear up the line. But God had been blessing David in miraculous ways. We read about it when David is talking to King Saul, trying to get him to let him go fight him. He says, look, he says, Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. In other words, me. That's how they referred to him. Instead, they didn't go around saying I and me and stuff. They considered arrogant, so they would refer to themselves in humble terms. Your servant will go. I'll go fight him. Well, Saul re- replies, says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. But then David says to Saul, look, I've been watching my father's sheep. Then this bear and his lion comes and carries off the sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Now you've got to understand this. If you're watching sheep and a lion comes and takes a sheep, you don't go after the lion. You just say, would you like fries with that? You know what I'm saying? A bear comes in. You don't go. He said, would you like some sauce with that lamb? But some, this lion comes, grabs the lamb and something. And this young guy goes, no. He goes over and he bonks the lion or the bear on the head. And he coughs up the sheep. Pretty gutsy. Then it says, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. No, seriously. Even if I got to the point, I'd go over and bonk him on the head so he'd let it go. When it turns on me, I'm going, ah, and I'm running. You know what I'm saying? But when it turns on him, again, something rises up inside of him and he grabs the thing and he kills it. Whoa. All right, and this was unusual. What was that? What was that in me? How did that happen? How could I succeed against a lion and a bear? He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. What is that? These outside other evidences were building confidence in him. And he knew when he stepped up that same thing that he felt. When he was dealing with the lion and the bear. is the same thing that rose up in him when he saw that big fat guy. So I can take him. And he goes out and he takes him. With a slingshot. 
<laughs> I mean, when David comes out on that field, that Philistine was so mad. He was so insulted. He says, what is this? Am I a dog? You said it's not like I'm going to tear him apart. And he just goes, zap. And he goes, well, the other army goes, ah, and they run. And then all the other Israelites going, yeah, they went and killed a whole lot of them. Fine line between faith and stupid, though. What made it clear was God was with him. Evidence. Even when God in the New Testament sends the angel Gabriel to speak to, to Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Christ child. I mean, an angel's talking to you. That should be enough, right? But even then, he says, but it's a sign. He says, your cousin Elizabeth, who couldn't have a child, she's pregnant right now. Evidence. Where's the evidence that God is with you? I have always striven to try and make decisions in my life in, first, in terms of God leading me, in terms of what evidence is there? I'm feeling maybe I should do this. What evidence is there of this? You guys in Stephen's point, you know, you know, Deb and I, when we first went there we didn't want to be there <laughs> but uh, the evidence was all around us I mean you know I've told you the scenario a hundred times the way God leads us is he closes every window and door in the house lights the house on fire and opens one door and then we feel led you know and then we go through the one door and that's how it happened everything in our life it was crazy it was the only open door he was boxing us in so we go to a point of course we had a wonderful time and, 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 and it was great for us uh, first time pastoring you know late in life you know, it's kind of, I'd never been that far. Here I am, late to mid-40s, and, uh, uh, you know, never have done it. That was kind of scary for me, and finally doing it. And, and we got there, and then we started doing this, we were doing, at the time, this laugh your way to a better marriage thing, you know, that we do all over the world now. And people say, well, how, how did you start this? You know, did just God supernaturally speak to you? No. No. I don't know that he's ever spoken to me to do this he said, you know you don't always have to have a word from God to do that which helps people if you see somebody hurting you help them you don't need a divine word you hear me okay because that's stupid you're supposed to do the right thing we have the ability to help people so we just started helping them and actually when we were doing it we were doing the church in point it was growing so fast we thought well let's stop this because it was, we're having a really hard time getting people to come to our seminars and then we made the decision okay we're going to stop we're just going to focus on the church but we had several seminars to finish it all of a sudden the places go nuts. Boom, boom, boom. They're all packed out. Couldn't get any more place. At one place we went to, there were more people than there were chairs in the building. It was the strangest thing. And we sat there and just went, wow. And then I get a phone call from a businessman who I knew. He'd never heard me speak though. Never been to a seminar. Hadn't heard from him in years and years and years. He calls me and says, I want to talk to you. He flies in and he says, if I back you, if I give you the money you need, will you go out and help couples? And I went, okay. <laughs> you know, so we stepped out. How do you know it wasn't stupid, Pastor? Because of the evidence. God is providing. God is making things happen for us. Things are working, not in our own strength. There's evidence. You step out in faith, trusting God. As many of you know, we just started our... our uh, television program that's uh, on TBN and, and uh, Sky Angel and I think four or five other networks are picking it up in the next month or two which is very exciting so yet all these Christian networks are giving us airtime for free to run our TV show you have to understand just being on TBN one week will cost you $19,000 and they're giving it to us 
See, that's evidence. Even, even starting the, the program. See, a lot of you guys don't know the story. What had happened was a couple of years ago, uh, a businessman in Phoenix, Arizona wanted to meet with me. And uh, so I, I flew down to meet with him. And uh, we had lunch together and stuff. He says, so, so what is it you think you really need to do? I said, well, ideally, I mean, we're doing these seminars and it's going great. Ideally, we need to be on television. I mean, you can't really touch the world unless you're on television. It's the fastest vehicle. I, I can't go to enough seminars. I won't live long enough to touch enough people just doing it at seminars. I said, we need to go on, on television. He said, okay, great. And then at the end of lunch, he says, okay, well, I'll give you a million dollars and then you can go on TV. And he went away. <laughs> I called my wife. and said, well, what did he say? He said, he's going to give me a million dollars. She said, oh, why would he say that? (laughs) I don't know. That's what he said. Oh, come on. Why would I make this up, woman? That's how we even got going in this direction anyway. Now, it sounds like a lot of money. We've already gone through three quarters of it just to get the show on the air. It's expensive to go on television. But again, we're stepping out in directions and because there's signs of God. But even still with the signs, it's a little creepy. It's a little unnerving. You know, because you're always afraid of what if you fail? You know what I'm saying? Now, you know, most of us, we fail. You don't see the failures, you know. When I do this stuff, the whole world <laughs> sees me fail. It's a little creepy. Okay. But we believe we're stepping out in faith because we're looking around us and seeing God giving signs and confirmations and supporting evidence of the direction we are to go. I want you to know when we make decisions in the church and going and stuff like that, then, and talk to Pastor Lathan. I'm, I'm the biggest guy around here that slows stuff down. Slow, I drag my feet, drag, I drive all crazy. Why are you dragging your feet? I'm, I'm, man, I'm, I just, I need... To wait. I need to see some hint, evidence, something. Nothing dramatic. But that's what keeps me, as best I can see, going from between faith and suit. And even then, it might not be right. You know, It's okay. We can fail. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. We can handle it. There may be some things we'll do as a church that we eventually have to step back from. Ah, well, we can't do that now. Uh, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. you know. But as we step forward and we trust God, just I want you to know, that's how you can know that you're at least headed in the right direction. And even though you might think it's one thing, at least God will be directing you and stuff like that. But just to go running off and doing things and making big changes in your life and, and you say, well, just go trust God. But there's no evidence to that. Reminds me of a guy that, that I knew some years ago. He, had, uh, he was meeting with me for lunch and, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm just, I'm just trusting God to open up doors for ministry for, for us. And, uh, and I, I just know that, that uh, I'm supposed to be in ministry. And now, now you have to understand, the history was he had just got fired from his fifth pastoring position. Okay? Everywhere he went, he got fired. Sometimes it would only take a few months. So he's sitting with me and saying, I, I just know God's called me to ministry. And I said, I'm not so sure about that. What do you mean? Look around you. Every time you touch it, it fails. It's the, there's no sign or hint or anything of God being with you in this area of life. And as far as I know, he's still struggling to this day trying to make stuff happen. I mean, come on. At some point, you're being stupid. Where's the evidence? God won't just let, throw you out there and let you just blow in the wind. If you watch around you, 
you start feeling God's putting you in a certain direction, you will watch. God will send people to speak to you, do some neat things to show you that you can step out. It'll still be a little unnerving because it's faith. But you can know that you're just not being foolish when you're doing it. I'm going to invite the ushers at this time and all the different campuses and the musicians to get ready uh, for our time of communion uh, this morning. This is where we turn our attention to focus on this foolishness that Paul was talking about in Corinthians, the preaching of the gospel of Christ, the preaching of the cross. It seems foolish to people who are without God. I mean, what a bizarre thing. You know, this isn't about philosophy. This isn't about zapping people with miracles. This is about just preaching the simple message that God so loved the world. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live among us. And then he died and suffered on that cross for our sins. He took our punishment so that we could get his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. So what about you this morning as you're visiting or maybe you've been here for a long time at Celebration Church? Have you taken that step of faith to trust in Jesus? You might be thinking to yourself, well, how do I know it's real? How do I know that's not stupid? Well, as I've been teaching this morning, look for the evidence. I mean, for the last 2,000 years, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been transforming millions of people's lives. Just the people you're sitting around this morning at a celebration campus. I wish you could hear some of the stories. I wish we had the time to tell you all the stories of the people just sitting right next to you right now. Whose lives have been dramatically transformed by this gospel. That's the evidence that this is real. Even though you haven't experienced it yet. That's why we sing. That's why we gather. That's why we give. That's why we work at doing what we're doing. None of this makes any sense if it's not real. But the evidence is overwhelming. You too can experience this wonderful, wonderful thing called the forgiveness of God in your life if you'll put your trust in Jesus today. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads with me at all the different campuses. And and I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer along with me. If you're here this morning and you've never truly surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never put your faith in Him. If you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong, put your faith in Him. You can experience your very first steps of faith this morning. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe You are the Son of God. That You love me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask You to come into my life And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. 